The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Roman Candle Tom, and I'm joined, as always, every other week, by my co-host. Uh, we'll go with Firecracker, and hopefully you don't hear rap music out uh, in the background of my recording this entire podcast, Dan. Is it, I don't hear anything. Is there like, is there like loud music? There's a 4th of July party going on. Uh, well, yeah, so if you guys couldn't guess, we are recording this on the 4th of July because you all matter to us oh so much. And also this was a, just, I mean, you know, <laughs> taking a few hours, you know, prepping a day ahead of time with all of the notes and then double checking. And it's also the best time for our schedule, for being honest. But we're very, very patriotic day to be recording this Broken Silicon. I said Roman Candles because that's my favorite fi- uh, fireworks. So yours is firecrackers the, just the normal ones the first one i thought of and i didn't want to go too crazy not snap not snap it's not i mean not those dumb little things snap it's are kind of the coolest that those and uh and uh the little smoke bomb things you get every once in a while that just those are very useful for airsoft those are good they are good college. for airsoft. yeah which i guess i'll just say it now people know i played a lot of airsoft in college but um i yeah but i like roman candles because <laughs> they're fun to use responsibly right <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave it like that. We'll, we'll leave it like that. We already had to restart this recording just so everyone knows two times because we got way off the rails <laughs> and possibly inappropriate twice in a row. Yeah, I mean, at least we did it within the first minute or so. But yeah, we, we should be careful with the YouTube algorithm in the first few minutes. Well, and other podcasts. I think most podcast apps couldn't care less, but you never know. If you say something weird in the first five minutes, it can be flagged. We're allowed to just, for example, let it all hang out <laughs> on Patreon. Yeah. I don't know. It's honestly, it's been very nice out. I think actually I'll just jump right into these opening reader mails. Uh, Timo writes in, he says, any problems for the Moore's Laws dead workflow or daily life? From this North American, U.S. Canada heat dome phenomena and weather. Uh, no, it, in Nashville, it's actually been colder than where my parents live. Our parents live in Minnesota and significantly cooler than like Portland or Seattle or like, no, it's honestly been like 80 to 80 to 90, not humid here. Um, for me, it's been, it, it rained like three days in a row recently. So like the humidity is finally down a bit. Like four or five days ago, for about a week straight, it was super humid every day, which was not fun. But you know, now it's pretty nice. But, out. It's like but 70s. it's not like a hundred. Yeah, okay. I was gonna say I thought in Massachusetts it was pretty nice though. Well, We're no, it was in the hundreds for well near a hundred. Oh, it was. near a hundred for a few days. I would in re- in real temperature or real feel, whatever. I, I think real temperature. Oh, geez. Yeah, so it was hotter than here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I, that's not as bad as it is in some places. I mean, at least I will say for most of the workflow, 
which of course happens for me in Nashville. It's been perfectly fine. It's gotten a little warm upstairs with this offices a couple times, but I did something recently to make it cooler. The air conditioning vent in here, the way the vent was positioned, just kind of shot it at a downward angle towards the carpet. And I was just like, you know, I noticed it's very cold under my desk. Let me go over here and do this. I just flip the vent upside down so that it flows the air across the ceiling in here. And now it's actually been cool. Like every day I've been working, even if my PC is mining. And I really wish I would have done that a while ago. Yeah, that would have been nice. (laughs) But uh, to answer Timo's question and continuing what we were saying about weather. No, it's been pretty nice here. Although we are aware that it is unseasonably warm in the Pacific Northwest. Um, this is not a weather show. Let us move on. Carbon Cry writes him, Tom, I have to say it was stupid of you to say you got a mini. Now everyone will know who will pull the Nashville job. And also doing it in Nashville, dumb move. That said he doesn't even have a subway. <laughs> uh, let's just move on. <laughs> There's Listen to the last episode if you want to know what he's referencing. This is an Italian... Italian job, good, great, okay movie. What do you think? I think we liked it when we were younger. I would need to watch it again to honestly reevaluate it because like when you're when you're like eight, you like a lot of stupid movies. So I I don't think I, it's I doubt stupid. it was stupid. I, I don't think it's stupid. I think there are people that I've heard say it's a good movie on like podcasts and such. But people you respect, opinions of people you Yeah. People with opinions you respect. Yeah, so may, maybe it holds up. Maybe if I watch it, I'd be like, no, eh, that's a pretty good movie. But not, I'm not going to pretend eight-year-old me had good movie taste. Although I think I did have yeah. better movie taste than most eight-year-olds. All right. Let us move on then, these more lively and goofy reader mails, to corrections and omissions. AC666 writes in, Hi, Tom. Correction for Broken Silicon 107. The latest version of the PS3 cell processor is actually on 28 nanometer, not 40 nanometer, which is what I guessed it was in that episode. That said, your point still stands, and I agree with you, which was that Sony can't use this forever for PS Now. It's absurd that they would keep using an outdated processor. It says, with rumors of a remastering engine sometime last year, Sony obviously can make and definitely needs some emulation layer for PS3 and prior era. As someone whose first Sony console is a PS4, I'd love the chance to actually play older titles like I did with Star Wars Bounty Hunter. Like Sony's still working with Lisa Sue, some nerd who once upon a time was head of IBM's Emerging Technologies division and approach both Sony and Microsoft about their console business. So it'll have to happen eventually. Just hopefully it's not too late. And no, AC is definitely right about this. Thank you for writing in. I think I now remember a little bit reading this years ago, but yeah, there's this article I put in the description from 2013 that Sony moved PS3's final revision to 28 nanometer right when they were launching the PS4. Mm -hmm. So I don't, but I didn't remember that recently. Um, and I don't think it lists that on a lot of websites. Um, so that makes some sense then why they're still using it. They probably like die shrunk it one more time and then did a huge production run for their servers. That being said, though, they do have to be developing an emulator at some point or else like PS Now games will just have to disappear from PS Now uh, unless they can keep manufacturing yeah. cell processors indefinitely, which I don't know who is if they're I, I don't think they're still manufacturing them and I don't know if. Like, there's any way they could manufacture more. Well, and I mean, let's just be honest. This is what people want. They don't want to... Some people want to be able to stream the games every now and then. They see that as a bonus. For sure. A bonus. On top of, like... But but you have to... 
admit, when Sony added the ability to download some of the games locally with PS Now, the, they like doubled their subscribers. Yeah. And uh, um, Game Pass is... I don't know, is it a factor of 10 bigger than PS Now at this point? And that lets you download all of them. People want to play their games on local hardware. They don't want the streaming compression and all the other downsides that come with streaming a game. People want to play games locally. And their competition's doing it so much better than them. It's, it's his, yeah. I get why they're still using the cell now. Because 28 nanometer still isn't actually complete garbage, if you ask me. I'm sure, especially those 28 nanometer cells use very little energy compared to like what the 90 nanometer or something. Don't write in with a correction again, whatever it was. <laughs> but I think it was 90 um, nanometer. I'm sure it's like, so yeah, it's like three die shrinks, four die shrinks later. Like I'm sure that thing uses no energy, but still, it's it's time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then let us move on. Speaking of efficient processors, let us move on to story number one. Zen 4 128 core Bergamo leaked. AMD is still not sitting still. Much of the leaker sphere has been debating whether Zen 4 scales past 96 cores. Many claim Genoa stopped at 96 cores, but maybe something else was coming, and Adored TV put his foot down first, saying some sort of 128 core Genoa was coming. Well, now we know, thanks to yours truly, Bergamo is coming with 128 Zen 4 cores. In short and in summary, Genoa launches first in 2022 from AMD, and by all accounts, it does stop at 96 cores. But after Genoa and before Zen 5 Turin, Bergamo launches. Bergamo, called dense Genoa by some MLID sources in the past, is indeed 128 cores, clocked slower than Genoa, and possibly with other tweaks as well. Genoa is meant to crush Sapphire Rapids with similar clock speeds and what is it? Would it, would it be like almost 50% higher core counts on oh no, over 50% more cores, at least at launch. And Bergamo is clocked lower with and more so meant to compete with upcoming ARM and Apple server chips. Since the video came out, Tom confirmed his unconfirmed source is now confirmed as well. And another source admitted it is Bergamo and has 128 cores. So Based on the investigation in Tom's recent video and these two updates after posting it, 128 Core Zen 4 is confirmed, people. And by the way, that now means Moore's Law is Dead knows much more about Navi 31 and NVIDIA's upcoming GPU architecture from this same source. Although, honestly, if you want to know more about Navi 31 now, just watch my last two videos about it. I've been told they're almost entirely correct. Well, whew. Woot woot. Uh, I I don't know how much there is to add to this right now. Like it's still a pretty far in the future. I think the distinction between Bergamo and Genoa is interesting. I wonder if that means there's going to be any, anything else. If, if there's yeah. if it's literally just a lineup and they're di making a distinguishing factor because it's coming out later, probably, or if there's actually well, no features on it. That's because a new well the SP you know the SP5 socket yeah. supports up to 128 cores yeah. so it uses the same socket you could say that but at the same time i mean the way one source explained it to me he's like well it's going to probably use another io die then and have a different core layout in a different yeah. packaging that is a different product at the end of the day uh yeah i guess that's true and you know these are all code names so even if they're all going into an SP5 socket completely different packaging is it, it, it is like you've said in the past and it, 
like every product that they we call the same architecture is slightly different. <laughs> it is a slightly different architecture, and that different packaging is does distinguish it from Genoa. Yeah, and I don't know when this code name first popped up. I want to say it was somewhat recent because one of my one source that I know one hundred percent. <laughs> knows what he's talking about. This is a real person. You know, I was talking about how AMD a while ago was discussing 96 and 128 cores. They didn't have a code name for it back then, but they did have this product thought of. Their conception of it was there a couple of years ago. And so, yeah, I mean, AMD moves around different code names as well. I guess that's one thing I'm kind of, I'm kind of trying to bring up here mm. as I ramble is that Warhol was canceled, guys. Like the version of it that used like a new... Possibly IO die, die shrink, Zen 3. Like that's gone. But the Warhol code name could now emerge for Zen 3D, is what I'm told as well. So that's another little tidbit I'm just kind of throwing in here as we talk about these code names popping up is do not be surprised if Warhol pops up as a code name. But Zen 3 Plus, not a thing for desktop still. Well, besides Rembrandt, when that comes to desktop, that would be Zen 3 Plus. Yeah, I know now. Uh, I was uh, looking up code names just to keep them straight in my head because you know sometimes i get them mixed up and wiki ch you be forgiven for that <laughs> I, I i'm generally okay at it now but i still get screwed up with them sometimes but wiki chip is now saying warhol is the successor to vermeer at least that's what it says on their page. well yeah but they've been saying means, but... wiki chip said zen 3 had four-way smt yeah i know for like, <laughs> you know, I mean, and then they changed it when they finally announced it, you know, so let's, I, I, Wiki I, Chip is, uh, I, I think it's a useful thing to keep like announced, co announced uh, code names straight. But yeah, I, I don't think they're the most reliable. I'm just saying it's up in the air what Warhol is at this point or officially. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm just going to tell everyone here. I mean. I've been told by one source that Warhol is now what they're going to name Zen 3D mm -hmm. and that there were actually three. It's funny looking back on that debate, debunking Zen 3 plus desktop video I did because I said there's only three things Zen 3 plus could be. And apparently they were considering all of them actually is what I'm told. <laughs> like they were considering a, you know, Zen 3 plus like DDR5 thing that goes on AM5. They were considering that on AM4. They were also considering Zen 3D, but they got Zen 3D working. And then they're like, this is better than whatever Zen was, that was going to be, and we can keep using the same chiplets and just put cash on top of it. So let's use that. Yeah, and I'm curious, like, well, I mean, we know that it's an official prototype, at least, that exists. I'm curious how many uh, products they would bring to Zen 3D. I think they would... I, th I think that would be like a, a stopgap more than, than Oh, anything. it is. Although in gaming, it could bring a 10, 15% boost. So better than Zen Plus. Yeah, that's a good, over Zen that's 1. a pretty good stopgap, I guess. And if they do, if they, although in some apps, I think Zen 3D is only going to be like 5% better. Mm -hmm. But I think in others, it could be 20. And that should be enough to keep the crown against Alder Lake, or at least tie it in gaming and win it everything else. So that's exciting. And I just, you know, some people like didn't like how I portrayed my Zen 4 Raphael leak and like there's different competing designs. It's like, no, guys, there really are. There really are, though. And Warhol, they canceled the 
the more architectural changes that were coming late last year and just went with the 3D cache, and they're still going to call it Warhol. Maybe. I'm not 100% on this, but that's what one source told me. The same thing goes for like Zen 4 designs as well, like 24 versus 16, which I'll just say that too. I, well, I'm being very open. It does, and I said that in the video, it sounded, I said in that leak, most people say it's stopping at 16 cores. That's still what it sounds like to me, is Zen 4 stops at 16 cores, but it could be a big IPC. Well, it will be a big IPC jump. It will be at least 20%, but you know, so I guess I'll just throw that in there as well, where I'm just talking about all of this code name changing and stuff. Yeah. Amiable Chief writes in, Tom, your piece about Bergamo got me thinking. SMT as a technology is well known, but do you think there will be an inflection point where this tech isn't worth the hassle and security issues anymore? A lot of security issues that pop up even on AMD now are because of SMT. Simply because the sheer number of cores makes SMT obsolete. In this journey towards this non-SMT future, could there be a hybrid between cores with and without SMT on the same chip package? Well, yeah, it's yeah. called Alder Lake. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're doubling little cores instead of adding more SMT cores with Raptor Lake. Um, but the way I think about it is I don't think SMT is ever going to be entirely obsolete. I think you'll start to see some more products without it, but then you'll see other products that have a ton of it. I, I, the way I see it is when you look at these like high IPC cores, I mean, look at the IPC increases we've been getting from AMD and that were, I believe we're about to get even bigger ones from Intel over the next few years at least relative to what we've been getting recently. I guess I don't know if AMD will beat them. But I think you get to a point where the core is so powerful that parts of it are idling if you don't have SMT. Like, that's why you have hyper-threading, because parts of the core aren't busy, so you might as well use it to queue up and start other operations. Um, and so I think SMT has a future in these big, high IPC cores um, that I know Intel's working on, mega IPC architectures. And I could see SMT4 being implemented, which I hear both companies are still considering SMT4 being implemented when we get into these like doublings of IPC that could come in like four years. Like that's where it's like, well, so much of it's idle. It's, you know, yeah, four-way four SMT. And I think the only way that a four-way SMT wouldn't ever come to fruition or... I don't know, even see it just a regression of SMT. I feel like big cores would still have at least two ASMT, but <laughs> yeah. But uh, is if they can just pack so many little cores on and you really only need like the eight big cores for spe certain specific tasks. Like if you have, I don't know, like 64 or 96 little cores on in like 2025 or something like that. Yeah, which. We might know about that, huh? Like, just a t <laughs> like products coming yeah. that are just a bunch of little cores, but uh, that I'm not talking about yet. And 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 similar things AMD is working on, you know. So I I think you're going to see both. I think you're going to see designs with both S big fat SMT laden cores, little cores, all little cores, all big cores. Look at the Alder Lake lineup. They're still planning to make most of the i5s based on what I've been told. Uh, no. Uh, no little cores, but the, and yet with Raptor, like they're doubling it. So there's just a lot of different products that both companies are working on. Andy1299 writes him, this is an important one for me. Any insight into whether the Bergamo cores are not standard Zen 4 cores, like little cores? The real threat of ARM and data center is not ISA or low power. Power is like 4% of the cost of IAAS these days. It is die savings from simple cores for standardized tasks. In other words, like things like AWS Graviton for web servers. 
Could be a slimmed down Zen 4 single threaded to take an ARM monster core servers, in my opinion. It also is a handy test ahead of Big Little for Zen 5. Also, Big Little makes no sense in data centers where you are more likely to have one architecture to deal with one type of workload. Yeah, maybe I know about, mm. like I said, something coming that is what you're talking about, Andy. Um, but it goes, think of hyperscaler data centers as modern factories with economies of scale and specific workloads. Yeah, right. I mean, that is a good question, but... And I don't think we can rule out some changes in these Zen 4 cores for Bergamo, but I can't say I can confirm it. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to pretend I know more than I know. So for now, I have nothing else to add. For now, the way everyone's talking about this, multiple sources, is it's just, I mean, literally some people were calling it dense Genoa. Some people, some of my Intel sources were calling it dense Genoa. So they didn't have the code name, but they're like, we know they're working on this. It's I think it's just the chiplets. There's more of them close together, more heat, but then they clock them lower. I don't know if they would disable hyperthreading on that. That'd be an interesting development, but I think for now it's just Zen 4. But again, I who knows? I can't well, say for sure, yeah. you know, yet. Let us move on then to story number two. EVGA announces it will be making motherboards for AMD. And here's the write up. Finally, EVGA got tired of losing out on that sweet market share being lost by Intel to AMD, and thus have announced they will be making motherboards for Zen processors. Whether Intel, Alder Lake, and After Lake are good or not, AMD is definitely here to stay in do-it-yourself gaming, and that means companies limited to Intel's motherboards are missing out on a significant amount of market share until used to seemingly permanently occupy, but it wasn't permanently occupied. AMD's been gaming market share. You guys you can check a link in the description that shows it. It's worth mentioning that this will not be a limited set of SKUs either. EVGA is planning to be a full AMD motherboard lineup manufacturer. Oh, and I will also say that based on what I know, Jensen signed off on this decision, if anyone is wondering. And thus, it's highly unlikely he will approve of EVGA making AMD GPUs anytime soon. Because that is a thing I saw a lot of people saying. It's like, oh, when are they making graphics cards? I can't say for sure they won't, I guess. I don't know. I, I won't claim to have a bunch of sources in EVGA, but... I will say that I heard that Jensen signed off on this, and I do not think EVGA will be doing that anytime soon, nor do I believe they need to. NVIDIA's market share seems to be doing as critical as I am of Ampere. Here I am with a bunch of Ampere cards and, surrounding me, so they're selling just fine. Yeah, and that, it, Ampere's still the better-selling architecture overall, right? Like, significantly? I believe so, okay. but it's hard to tell, yeah. like... Yeah. What that even means when you have miners involved and market share analysis is completely effed right now. Not in CPUs, though. I guess I'm curious I don't uh, why it took uh, EVGA so long mm. to do this. Like, was there some weird contract they had with NVIDIA to... Uh. <laughs> Or well, no. not or with Intel. Yeah. Or, or You mean? Well, to keep their products off of AMD platforms specifically. I don't think there that was ever. Weird, no, I, that would be, that, no, that, that, would be, that would probably be illegal. Yeah, that, that, that would be anti. <laughs> that would be an antitrust case, probably. <laughs> but no, there's no official rule. They couldn't have any time. I think it's just when you look at AMD again, you know, I think it takes time for people to wake up to changes in these industries. I think when you look 
and you see AMD launch Zen 1, and it's like, oh, they took market share. It's like, yeah, they didn't have any <laughs> in yeah. gaming, you know? And it's like, and then Zen Plus comes out, and it's like, okay, so now they're on par with Intel at everything, pretty much, except for gaming by maybe 10%, um, whatever. And then Zen 2, oh, and AMD's just the best. Zen 3, oh, AMD's really the best. And then you hear about Zen 4, and you're like, okay, we've got to... AMD could get to like 40%, 50% gaming market share. We have to be making these motherboards or we will be profiting less in this division. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I guess why would EVGA, which, you know, mostly focuses on gamers, I feel like, uh, why why would they pivot to AMD until they feel like they need to? Because I'm guessing that's going to, you know, go to a lot more R&D budgets that <laughs> that they now have to factor in. The one thing I also want to add to this story besides kind of like, firming up and outlining, you know, what's really going on here. You know, it is a full lineup. It's not just high-end ones. And it's there's no plans from what I've heard for them to make AMD GPUs anytime soon, nor do they need to because NVIDIA's market share is fine. Uh, but I wonder if they'll want to after RDNA 3 launches. We'll have to see. Well, or or Intel even, you, you know, Intel graphics cards. You know, it, you, know you never know. I mean, I don't know what they what Intel's like... Uh, Mindshare is right now, if Intel were to come out with a new gra- good graphics card right now, their public view is down a little bit than what it's been in the past. So I wonder it, how well th- that will sell. But, you know, I could see it selling pretty well still. Intel, I think, is mostly highly regarded outside of DIY. Well, I mean, though, again, though, I think one of the major problems with all of that talk is based on what I'm told, NVIDIA really has like an iron grip over EVGA as a company without going into how they control them. There's like consequential phys, like it's not just like they like them guys. There's, there's something going on in the background between EVGA and NVIDIA as you would think being like their main, they're the sapphire of NVIDIA graphics cards, except even closer related to NVIDIA. They should almost be thought of as an NVIDIA wing, a wing of NVIDIA, honestly. Yeah. Like like when you think of EVGA, you think of NVIDIA and so, so making other competitors, graphics cards would take some pretty big stuff to happen. Yeah. And like the only other, AIBs I can think of that have that strong of an association are Sapphire with AMD. And AMD, yeah. who has made some of their reference cards. Yeah, that's so, true. You know, that's basically the closest, and it's even closer than that between those two. But um, yeah, the only other thing I want to add to this story, though, is it was somewhat of a surprise, though. It's not like... Like, this came out of nowhere. Yeah. I even sent it to one of my best sources who keeps an ear to the ground of this market. And he's like, holy shit. Like, he didn't even know when it was announced. Like, it was, this came a kind of out of nowhere. Well. And this was, this was a surprise. It's explainable, but it was a surprise. It surprised me. Maybe EVGA is better at keeping uh, tight lips than other AIBs that yeah. seem to just. Well, I mean, who, yeah, like Gigabyte, where like every NVIDIA leak is Gigabyte, Gigabyte, Gigabyte. Yeah, who, who, who scream, who seem to like just scream their products from the rooftops three months before any announcement is made. Yeah, yeah, and that 3080 Ti I leaked, that was a gigabyte card, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, they weren't happy with me on that, guys. All right, let us move on to story number three. Apple and Intel become the first to adopt TSMC's latest chip tech, and I'm quoting from the Nikkei. Apple and Intel have emerged as the first adopters of Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Co.'s next-generation chip production technology ahead of its deployment as early as next year in Nikkei Asia has learned. According to TSMC, 
Three nanometer technology can increase computing performance by 10% to 15% compared to five nanometer. We're reducing power consumption by 25 to 30. Intel's smaller rival AMD, whose market share for notebook processors rose from 11 percent in 2019 to more than 20 percent last year it's set to adopt tsmc's five nanometer chip production technology for its notebook processors next year multiple people have said nvidia the most valuable american chip company announced this year it will move into the server chip market to grab market share from intel Nvidia's first server cpu chip will use tsmc's five nanometer tech and be available by early 2023 according to nvidia and then TSMC did not comment on individual customers' plans. Well, Apple did not respond to the Nikkei's Asia's request for comment. So this is sources that Nikkei is claiming they have saying this is happening. It is not confirmed. Let us be clear about that. But this does line up with other rumors that have been consistently coming out about Intel having three nanometer chips. This one seems to more forcefully claim, though, in my opinion, that it really is happening by the by by 2023, I guess I'll say they even said maybe late 2022. But well, when is I'm, no? I think 2023. When is three nanometers supposed to be in full production? That's is that next year? So five nanometers starting full production now. Yeah. I mean it is. I think right already making iPhones if I remember correctly. Um, and then I believe next year you'll have four nanometer and some three. So yeah, yeah, next year. So I mean I I, I don't remember exactly, but how long this has been going on for but you know we've been hearing leaks and whispers and rumors of intel moving some of its production to tsmc for a while now uh and Mm -hmm. most of that that has been consistent that it's that it will be predominantly notebooks of at least products that we know of officially right now right Mm -hmm. so i think so yeah i mean i think that's this is just and graphics cards yeah yeah i i think that's just another this is just another you know, check mark of of uh, consistent with that entire theory that we've had for a while now. Yeah, and again, the way this website runs it, which they get a lot of things right. Yeah, like they they they're pretty forceful in this one. It's not like rumors. It's like we're sure. And I I really don't have a doubt that yeah, Intel's going to have some of its products on three nanometer TSMC next year or twenty twenty three. Yeah, um, I guess. Another interesting aspect that they bring up in this article, though, is how it's about market share, that Intel knows they're losing market share to AMD right now and do-it-yourself and laptop, and which is more importantly, laptop and server, and that a reason they're buying up a bunch of capacity at TSMC on the latest nodes is that no matter what, they want to be able to take market share. So whether or not, I think is what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Intel Intel's deciding this. It's not just a backup. It's just no matter what they do, they want to be able to keep making as many 10 nanometer chips next year for a desktop and laptop as, if necessary, and then as many TSMC chips for graphics cards and then other laptop chips later in the year. You know, whether or not their seven nanometers working by 2023 or not, this is just extra capacity they can use. I mean, it's practically like, food it's like you just provide it we need to feed people give us as much food as you can it's it's like it's like during a drought they just (laughs) want to get as we'll buy as much capacity because you know what from where we're sitting we're not seeing a lot of evidence that we won't sell as many of the things as we make so let's just make sure that when we have competitive architectures again like raptor lake like meteor lake like a couple of the other lakes coming out around meteor lake Mm. that we will be able to take back market share for sure, not just from our own fabs, but then also we'll be producing some of the products on TSMC to really flood the market with our stuff. 
Yeah, I, I'm just curious to see if like seven nanometer is fully, fully functional by 2023. Like what what products will end up going to three nanometer TSMC? I guess mostly I, I would think GPUs, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I guess again, yeah, I guess we'll see their three nanometer. I mean, my understanding is Intel's ten nanometer if it was fully working, which I do believe it will be by the end of this year. I'd say, we'll have to see. Alder Lake's going to have to prove it, you know, and we're going to have to see how good Sapphire Rapids is, which apparently is next year, mid-next year possibly, by the way. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think AMD's going to be fine with uh, Genoa and Bergamo against Sapphire Rapids, guys. Yeah. But um, um, but I, I think that no matter what happens, you know, if 10 nanometer gets working, it's as good as TSMC is from what I've heard, seven. In fact, it should be a little better than their seven potentially if it was fully working like they initially intended it. And that Intel's um, seven nanometer should be better than TSMC's five if fully working as well as they intended. <laughs> so three nanometer though means they will for sure have some products completely competitive with whatever AMD has probably in 2023. At 2023, I really think, you know, Someone was asking me the other day, when do you think we're going to get into a little bit of market flooding when things will be cheap? And I think mm. end of 2022 is probably going to be a good time to buy. That's when you have Raptor Lake versus Zen 4, um, RDNA 3 versus Hopper versus possibly almost just DG2 probably by then, but on the we'll probably have DG3 rumors by then. Um, Hopefully. That's when you're going to like really be, you know seeing a lot of things flooding the market. And, and you know, you, like, listen to how I'm talking here. Intel's just buying up this capacity and they're going to make stuff because they know it will sell. Hey, some of that may result in there just being a lot of stock on shelves and finally prices being reasonable. Well, you know, and assuming they get to seven nanometer by that time, hopefully more, and production actually going to full capacity now, um, hopefully more fabs at full production making a bunch of chips as opposed to what we've had for the past year year and a half and then by the way same source but i i forgot to say this for bergamo another one it's substrate guys it's substrate <laughs> that is the it is not even csmc capacity it really is substrate now it's a, every single it's so consistent it's substrate is the issue and that will be fixed it is already getting better you can already see prices coming down pretty consistently you look on ebay i swear it's ten dollars a day on 3070s and stuff like coming down in ebay pricing like it is coming down slowly but surely i it's already getting better and substrate will be fixed by i think end of quarter one next year so yeah anyways or at least Better than now. Who knows what fixed means anymore in the pricing of this market. But let us move on to story number four. AMD ARC 6600 XT reference cooler leaks, and so does 64 ROPs for what the cooler will be on, Navi 23. And here's the write-up. So guess what? The RX 6600 XT reference card leaked, and yeah, it looks like what you expected. A compact, single-fan Radeon card in the same styling of the rest of the RDNA 2 reference lineup. This time, though, with a single PCIe 8-pin connector, denoting this is likely a 180- to 200-watt card, as Moore's Laws had reported a very long time ago it would be. <laughs> oh, and Tech Power Up confirmed it does come with 64 ROPs last week, too, which is not something I ever said I knew anything about. With now knowing that this has 64 ROPs, 
just like Navi 22 and just like Navi 10, it's easy to believe this will beat the 5700 in 1080p if pushed hard. I will also independently confirm that AMD is not launching this in July, guys. And for what I am told, this is not coming direct from their website anytime soon. AMD seems to be keeping the most profitable models as what they are willing to sell directly. No liquid cooling that's expensive on the 6900 XT. No cheaper budget cards. Just the high margin 6700 <laughs> XT, 6800, 6800 XT, and 6900 XT, non-liquid cooled. The AIBs can produce our lower margin stuff for us, <laughs> sell our lower margin. Or, or sell them for frickin' two grand on yeah, anyway. Although those prices are coming down. But yeah. I mean, ha- I, that will be weird then with... The 6600 XT kind of been not having an official MSRP. I mean, I assume it will sell for what? Three? Well, I think it probably will have an official MSRP. I don't know. I I, I can't honestly say that I'm 100% sure about official MSRP and where and how that will be launched and priced. What I know is right now, it doesn't sound like they're going to sell it from their website and it's not launching next month. So I would guess this is probably going to launch end of August or somewhere around there. And and I'm complete guess. Don't quote me on that, guys. And that that's when they might sell it from their website. But otherwise, this reference card is mostly AMD selling to OEMs. You may see some AIBs Mm. launch versions of this reference cooler, though, is what I've heard. But in limited numbers, you're probably going to mostly see marked up, big, expensive, fat coolers as usual so they can try to charge $400 for it. Which is really annoying because... Which I think it's a $300 card if you look at it. it. I think it's probably a $300 card. It should be a $300 card or... I mean, ideally even less, but like the 6600 XT and, you know, the little, it's little brother, the 6600 are, I think they're needed in the market right now. AMD probably disagrees with me because people that would buy those are just going to get a 6700 XT instead if they really want a Mm. card. But yeah, I would like to see a 300 or a sub $300 card on the market, which, you know, just doesn't exist right now, at least new architectures. Well, and I do want to, I do think that if it, if priced correctly, this card could really occupy a perfect territory here. I mean, the 3060 doesn't need 12 gigabytes of RAM, and it was a little weaker than it should be. I actually have one behind me. I'm going to test it at uh, some point soon. I'm curious what I think about this level of performance with a bunch of RAM. Um, but when you look at the 6600 XT, same amount of ROPs as the 5700 XT, eight less compute units, but they should be clocked 20% faster. Okay. I mean, maybe 30% faster. All right, then. I mean, it should be a 5700 XT that AMD can make with 10% less die space, basically, or 5% less die space. So it is a little more efficient in that regard. And I've also heard the yields for this are absurdly good. And then you give it, the only limiting factor is 32 megabytes of infinity cache, which should be enough for 1080p, but I've heard it does fall apart a bit in 1440p. I'm, I mean, but I, I, I'm really <laughs> curious to see. I've heard that pretty consistently, actually. I, I'm really curious to see how, uh, what is that, three t- how three times less infinity cache will affect performance, all other things being, you know, different. But <laughs> I, I'm curious how that performs in like 1440p or if it really does just... This is truly a 1080p card with 32 megabytes of uh, infinity cache. I have heard, though, that integral to launching this card was having FSR out first because FSR lowers the amount of cash used with its algorithm is what I've heard. And so what they would say is, oh, well, in 1440p, 
in FSR, it's fine. And look, now it's, you know, basically a 6700 XT for less money. You know, I think at $300, this is an efficient card. This is a card that will crush 1080p, 40, 144 hertz gaming on ultra settings. Mm-hmm. And eight gigabytes is plenty for that. And then if you want to get into 1440p, it's probably about a 5700 or something. And good enough for if it's 300 bucks. That is better than the last generation. Yeah. And I wonder if some AIB, AIBs are going to come out with models that are clocked over three gigahertz at this point, because at least. B- I don't think so. Video- I think you could see 2.8. Okay. What, what did you read? Did I miss something? Video cards, it's their speculation says 2,900 megahertz. Hey, if it's 2,900 megahertz, this is going to murder 1080p. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I can't say that I'm sure it won't be. So I would just kind of guess. I mean, look at it, though. Here's what I would say. It's, I think people overestimate the upper limits of RDNA 2 because that's just eventually a limit. Like when you look at the 6700 XT, its base clock is higher than a 6800 XT. But I don't see, guys, my 6800 XT that I reviewed hit 2.8 gigahertz fine. I don't see 6700 XTs hitting 2.9 ever. And so I don't know why you'd think this will hit 2.9. 2. But if it does, that'd be cool. 2.8 does seem to be a, a, a number for RDNA 2, because, like, that's what, around what my yeah. card is, hits, and, yeah, it seems to just be close to the limit of RDNA 2, you're you're right. Yeah. It's just, if you have better bend ones, it hits 2.8. If you have badly bend ones, it hits 2.6. Mm-hmm. That's about all you can say. Um, but let us move on, then. Let us hit... Story number five. NVIDIA prepares its DLSS upgrade. Here's the write-up. AMD's FSR was all the buzz during June, but now, as expected, NVIDIA is preparing its response after allowing, or maybe failing to steal, with the horrible tie launches, the limelight for a month. Although all aspects of DLSS 2.2.9 are not finalized, it is clear that evermore NVIDIA aims to make it entirely visually indistinguishable from native resolutions while simultaneously reducing its ghosting artifacts. So, yeah, I've got a couple of links in the description. I would just say that, yeah, I mean, DLSS 2.2 plans to use a better base, I believe, resolution and try to compete even better than FSR, which has a higher base resolution. But FSR does not use multiple frames to analyze for its algorithm. DLSS does. So they're going to try to probably make it so this is like a firm 10 to 20% boost, but completely no downsides, which I is that's what I want. Yeah. I wanna, here's what I want. Here's what I want, guys. I want a firm 10 to 20%, let's even just say 15 to 20% boost, which literally has no downsides. Or, and I just can put that on because usually the difference in running 4K 120 is like 10%, 20%, guys. I'm usually pretty close with the 3070 um, when a VRAM isn't murdering it, which sometimes it does in 1440p, for God's sakes, NVIDIA. But, and then also have a mode that is a little worse looking and gives me a 50% boost. Everything else I'm not that interested in. I don't need your crap vision 300% oh. boost. And I don't need the in between either. Give me two modes. Give me one that's indistinguishable and is a free 20% and give me one that's a 50% but barely noticeable and hard to run games. That's all I really want. I mean, the I think the most interesting mode obviously is the, you know, lossless 10 to 20% increase in frame rate or hell, 30% or 
once you're at 30 whatever you can make it small, but there's usually a loss yeah. in quality or true loss in quality and yeah, if you can double performance with no loss do it but i don't think that's but happening. it's like looking at fsr the, those performance modes uh they the performance mode was uh getting to a point where like eh, it was looking pretty iffy in some resolutions <laughs> like 1080p looked like it was just a 540p game pretty much and dlss i think generally mm. speaking at the lowest quality modes at least the newest versions of dlss are avoid that more than fsr does but i i agree did you and i've talked to you about it like obviously we collaborate on like all the reviews i do but like did you watch my overall opinion of like the 3080 ti 6000 uh i haven't gotten the chance to yet no but i think i told you like in some games it was like barely not worth it like banner lord it kind of looked visually just undistinguishable in quality mode dlss but then in the overworld map it definitely looked blurrier and there were just bugs Mm -hmm. with dlss in that game with it so i like overall would go eh, i don't know it's definitely better than resolution scale in that game which just doesn't freaking work i would argue well i I, having said that i don't even need dlss and deep rock galactic it practically has it with how well its resolution scale works with taa injection but then there's games like metro exodus where it impressed me no bugs no freezes no problems dlss quality looks great i even find dlss balanced mode with my 3070 was acceptable in 4k and i could run it 4k 100 dan with a 3070 in metro exodus ray tracing and there's a small drop but it was worth it so metro exodus is impressive i will say that i just want to throw that in there people who think i hate dlss there are games now that have impressed me let me i'll admit that it needs to be pointed out that the first iteration of dlss was garbage 2.0 crap vision 2.0 was a little better but still not it was generally worth it in some games but generally worth it not like i I, and i it did not impress me in control guys i i'm sorry like i it looked did not look as good as native i imagine that the next iterations of well what's about to come out with dlss i assume and future iterations of fsr is where it's going to get like truly truly impressive where I, I I mean, granted, FSR is impressive for what it is with their first iteration, but, you know, there still are some issues to be pointed out with it. Generally speaking, quality mode is, I, I think, at, from what I saw, it would be worth turning on quality mode in any game you're playing. But beyond that, like, I don't think mm-hmm. I would turn on performance mode in almost anything unless I was really... Really trying to get those frames. Well, ultra performance mode looks horrible. Although to give NVIDIA credit from their website, they say ultra performance mode only meant for 8K as of now. Yeah. Like it's kind of a in beta and that it, I will say in Metro ultra performance mode didn't look as bad as you'd expect, but like straight up some objects were different shapes in the distance. <laughs> yeah. So that's... That's not ideal, I guess, but... In close-up, it didn't look that bad, but distance is real bad. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. if I Maybe in 8K, it wouldn't look horrible. I have no idea, but... I don't know. We unfortunately don't have an 8K monitor to look at. But then what's the point? Yeah. Uh, Just run it in 4K with DLSS quality. Why? Like, yeah. But you can pretend you're running it in 8K, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I guess what I will bring up that you started touching on is FSR, and, and that was something in the notes here, too. I want to be very clear about something, though. AMD is not sitting still either on FSR. I'm already directly told by multiple sources that they have three, they have not three, they have multiple big things that they 
low-hanging fruit they can apply to upgrades for FSR before the end of the year. So yes, a bigger DLSS is coming, but also yes, AMD believes they can improve visual quality even further and performance even further. And I believe FSR is directly competitive with DLSS now in terms of how important of a feature it is. Now, again, a lot of people get mad when I say that because they are not the same thing, which they're not, you know, and I've done whole videos saying that. But at the same time, at the end of the day, people will compare them and think of them in the same way. And whether it's a direct competitor or not, it kind of makes all all DLSS modes before DLSS 2 look silly, and it's far better than them overall in usefulness. And they have stuff coming to make up for whatever NVIDIA is working on as well. So that's very exciting, though. I, I like what you're saying. I think by the end of the year, you know, and you're seeing NVIDIA implement DLSS in more and more games. It's very exciting to see that no matter what, we're going to have a way better FSR and DLSS. That's And I think both of them will be very well supported by the end of the year as well. Yeah, and I want to see. I've heard I've heard uh, developers say they implemented FSR into their games in two hours. Okay, I want to see a bunch of games with FSR soon then. <laughs> yeah, prove it. Yeah, and I mean, I'm trying to think of what else there is really to say about this. I mean, I guess I'd also mention that Unreal Engine 5, they <laughs> Epic claims that their TSR works better than FSR or DLSS. Okay. And they just made their own algorithm for their engine. So I expect a lot of games to use that as well. So I think you're seeing, and I know that um, Guerrilla Games with their Decima engine has effectively had a version of DLSS for years mm -hmm. as well that they've been using. Um, people can look up some of the interesting stuff they've done with some of their games, and it is impressive sometimes. So I think you're seeing a lot of studios just making their own competitors as well. And I think we are almost to a post-resolution arguing era here where it's going to get there's a reason yeah it's we are going to get to a point where especially on consoles it's like does the game look sharp or not the answer is yes yeah. again they're like demon souls which apparently uses some taa injection method from a 1440p image I think that looks sharper than some 4K games I played and that's just hilarious to me and oh. I've, I think there's some games on PC that look like Deep Rock Galactic, that looks sharper with a lower resolution scale than like Bannerlord in full 4K, potentially. Yeah. It's actually kind of funny. Yeah, it definitely does, actually. Yeah, I mean, and the, that game has relatively simple graphics, but it's a very, very sharp-looking game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks it looks sharper at lower resolutions than Bannerlord does, which is just funny. Let us move on, though. Carbon Cry writes in, I have a new angle on the VRAM thing. VRAM is not just used for a game, and this is completely missed by benchmarks on pristine Windows reinstalls with no apps running in the background. I just heard a guy describe performance issues in Wolfenstein New Colossus at 1440p with a 3070. Simply having Discord and Firefox with a couple YouTube tabs in the background overfills the totally fine 8 gigabytes of VRAM on a 3070, and performance in games can plummet, even if in some benchmarks they don't show it. Just thought it was a fun anecdotal data point. Eight gigabytes is not enough, sometimes even at 1440p. Yeah, I found that. I found that I had to turn down a couple settings to run Resident Evil 2 in 1440p, and that when I benchmarked Resident Evil 2 on my 3070 in 4K, there were some sections, long sections of the game that were fine, but then others were, boom, now here's a fourth <laughs> the frame rate. And then even in 1440p, that could happen if I didn't lower the VRAM settings. So I know people, like, I just want to point that out, you know? <laughs> I know people say, oh, hardware unboxed didn't find that. Yeah, it's a, it's a fresh Windows install, and... 
Yeah, it's without yeah. sometimes things running in the background. And did they play through the whole game? <laughs> in the whole game to test it because in some of the later sections even if you go back to a previous era i've noticed it uses more ram and plummets frame rate eight gigabytes really is kind of almost to the point where it's like you need six gigabytes for 1080p ideally eight and then for 1440p it's like you need eight ideally 12 and 4k you need 12 ideally 16 um i don't know it, it gets less and less of an issue the higher capacity you get i guess like, I don't know of any game that's, like, really killing 12 gigabytes yet, but I do have some games almost using 12 gigabytes in 4K already when I was using the A6000, and it wasn't just... And on the tw- even the 3080 Ti, it was already kind of getting close in some games. Well, and, you know, the most I can add to that is hopefully, like, this is what we're stuck with this year. Hopefully in the future, especially NVIDIA gets their act together and we can, you know, ditch 8 gigabytes or sub-8 gigabytes cards Outside of budget cards. Yeah, yeah. I think 8 gigabytes will probably never say always, but for a very long time be enough for budget cards. No, and in I, fact, that, I think a, four, 4 gigabytes will be enough for 720p yeah. probably for a very long time. And that's why I'm, I amended that and said sub 8 gigabyte cards. Like, there, there's no place for those anymore. 8 gigabytes is almost the minimum, I would say, at this point. And, like, I guess if we're making a, an entry-level card, maybe 4 or 6 gigabytes is fine. If like we're talking about like a two hundred dollar card, but <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's acceptable that the amount of RAM that especially like the thirty sixty Ti or the thirty seventy has. Yeah, I'm just gonna say it again. I think if I were to redo the Ampere lineup, I really think, really, I think what they should have done is had like a uh, yeah. I I I think what they honestly should have done is had just gone all out and they should have just, whether you call it the 3090 or the 3080 Ti had a 24 gigabyte GDR six X almost full die thing. Like they did with the 3090. That's fine to go Mm -hmm. all out with that. But then they should have made the 3080, like a 24 gigabyte, normal GDR six card and just said F it. And (laughs) Hey, look, GDR six is like six giga dollars a gigabyte. They could have easily afforded to make it 800 instead of 700 and given it 24 or even 12. And then the 3070 should have just had the full die and 16 gigabytes. The 3060 should have just been cut down 3070 with with 8 or 16. No, with 8 gigabytes. And then the 3060 should have had 6 gigabytes, but been like 280. I mean, that would have been a lineup that makes a lot more sense and looks less stupid. Yeah, but that instead they've got this bizarre situation where if you want 12 gigabytes, your two options are a 3080 Ti or a 3060. Mm-hmm. Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. 
Go to cdkoffice.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need, and games as well. Add them to your cart, and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website, and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They're a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. All right, let us move on then to story number six. Windows 11 revealed with plenty of cringe. So yeah, Windows 11 was revealed on the date Moore's Law is Dead first leaked at Wood a month ago, but it was a, well, very cringy presentation. First, let's confirm the confirmed news from it. Number one, free upgrade to Windows 11 this holiday season. Number two, Android apps that are served from the Amazon App Store will work natively on Windows 11. Number three, the icons are now in the middle of the taskbar to quote, here's why, they are front and center, you. Our front and, Our front center. and center. <laughs> Number four, the second stream in a nutshell demonstrated Microsoft is finally taking ease of development. They'd like a gaming focused mm-hmm. stream. They're taking ease of development with developers very seriously. And this should be as they should be opening up the access to SDKs and bringing some things to Xbox like FSR and bringing some Xbox enhanced things that they learned on their Xbox team to Windows 11 for better efficiency. And in fact, FSR is coming to Xbox Series X very soon, possibly before Sony even adds adaptive sync to the PS5. All right, so really it's like Android, Windows, end of this year free upgrade, and Xbox gets FSR. Those are really the main points, honestly. Like, yeah. I don't know what else. I can't believe they talked for an hour. Um, let's talk about the actual presentation, Dan. This is probably the most... It, I, I said this to you before. I feel this was a Tim and Eric sketch that went on for an hour. <laughs> it was one of the most bizarre, tone-deaf, missing-the-point presentations oh. with a great... Why was that guy hosting it with his golden bracelets and tennis shoes and acting like he was about to cry the whole time? I don't know what that was. Uh, did you watch? Did you watch the whole thing? Or um, I skipped. I, I skipped through it. I got. I, I got the gist by skipping through it. They had weird uh, white obelisks in the background for some reason, like he was in some. I don't know. Conspiracy theorist fever dream satanic temple. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> or that weird look at this normal home background that they kept using yes. for some reason. And I really loved the opening to the presentation where he's like starts talking about his mom, I mean his home, and then he goes into and Windows is home <laughs> and like talks Ugh. about how this past year was how many great yep. sentimental experiences we've had this past year. Like my daughter gra- graduated over Windows as if that's some good thing. I bet she fucking hated it. <laughs> yeah, I want to say that. No, yeah, because I like we do with these live streams, we usually have fun, which again, in the Discord, you get access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord if you support us on Patreon. We do need your support. During these live streams, I don't 
watch it live and do these overreactions. Like, I think we just watch it together, and then, but we can type on the tech mm-hmm. channel there, and we all, like, text chat with each other in the Discord, hundreds of us. And what I said is, is anyone tired of them trying to dress up the fact that we've been video chatting all year, that's not a good thing. Yeah. And this is getting old. I'm so sick of all of these companies going, we found, you know, more relationships than we ever thought possible. Yeah. And uh, honestly, immediately what I thought of when I saw that was uh, I, I flew to Illinois a couple weeks ago because one of my friends from elementary school got married. Uh, I was a groomsman in it, in the wedding. And, um, I saw my friends from high school for the first time in almost two years. And yeah, Jesus, like I didn't. Uh, the difference of seeing them in person. Yeah. Like uh, my <laughs> the uh, following Monday, my coworkers or lab mates, I guess, were like, you look a lot happier than usual. <laughs> it's like, oh, I didn't realize how much soul crushing it's been. <laughs> like you just got used to it. And no, yeah, it sucked. The year sucked. Stop trying to pretend it was good. One of the reasons I moved to Nashville was how much I like comedy, both doing it and watching it. I've been going to a lot of stand-up comedians with friends, and it's just been the difference in seeing it in person with a group of friends. It's I'm again, I'm so I'd have much more fun Fourth of July this year, you know, out with a friend than last year. Yeah, because <laughs> I did because we did go out earlier, and it's just I'm so sick of these companies just. Because it's like what they're saying is, weren't you happy that you were forced to use our stuff bar, you pig, consume? Except it's like they're like trying to dress up the fact that you had to use their shit. Yeah, and and pretending that it actually enhanced our connections or whatever. It's like, I don't know. I've been talking to friends online for forever, like because I live a thousand miles away from most of them. But I would still prefer to be able to see them in person from time to time. Yeah, it's that that was that's becoming so tone deaf and out of touch. These Silicon Valley weirdos that do that in all their presentations. And outside of that, I mean, the whole thing was just, again, like some of the quotes I wrote down again, my favorite one is we're putting I'm a little paraphrasing, but he's like, we're putting the task bar and all of your tasks in the middle now because they are front and center. You You are front and center. That's just and I've got to say. This is the biggest, like, UI overhaul since Windows 8.1, kind of. Like, Windows 10, If I maybe I'm misremembering Windows 8.1, but mm-hmm. Windows 10 still largely looks like Windows 8.1. I mean, there's obvious differences. I, I remember when I... I don't really remember what 8.1 looks like, quite honestly, but I remember when I got Windows 10, I was like, oh, this is a little different looking. Um, yeah, it did seem, like, improved, smoother, but you know. Y- you know, with this new UI, so the taskbar's in the middle now for some reason. All of the corners are rounded off because the sharp corners were really scary, apparently. Um, and now... I like sharp corners and now on apps. It, I think it's cleaner looking than a curved and one, And now, personally. thank you, you're, you made your entire operating system look like fucking Facebook and Instagram, which everybody hates. Like, I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get let's the, do that. I don't get the new modern web design philosophy of making everything curvy and bubbly. It looks like shit. Uh, I, hey, 
<laughs> I don't. And, you know, some people will disagree with us. I'm sure a lot of people would. They wouldn't be doing this if some people didn't like it, I assume. But from my perspective, I loved the Windows 11 without arrow look. I like the non-see-through, clean, solid and, colors and just and not rounded, sharp corners, these sharp I like the sharp, deep colors without see-through. I don't need this bubble clear crap. It makes it hard to see everything on top of everything else because now it's all clear. And the biggest feature that I, I, I'm not sure if I'll use it, but we'll see. It, it Hopefully it won't be annoying and get in your way is the um, the new snap features, how you can do custom. I did like that in the, Windows 10. Well, how you they're adding a custom, um, like custom patterns for it. So you can do the two things. No. Or you can have three snapped into a window, or you can have four in like a, I don't know, four in like the four different corners. So that could, I I could definitely see that being useful for sure, uh, like writing. Or if you have like a 5K screen, you can do four things on one screen at once. Yeah, I mean, I can see that being useful. Yeah. So of all the things I saw in Windows 11, honestly, that was the most useful looking thing I saw or upgrade into the operating system that I could imagine myself actually taking advantage of. Right. And now that we're moving past making fun of the cringe fest, I mean, I'll also bring up, they are the direct storage, the, you know, the, the rapids, which I've had developers tell me windows direct storage actually should allow games to load very fast. Maybe not quite as fast as like, again, I say ideally a PS five because half of the PS five games don't even fucking use it. But as fast as like Resident Evil 2 does, I'm, I'm sorry, Resident Evil 8 does on PS5, where it is under two seconds. Oh. It is like there's no load screen. It's just fade in. You're in the game. That type of stuff. They're limiting that to Windows 11. Yeah. And that's really annoying that they're doing this again where they're trying to force you to upgrade. And I do worry about what they will lock down in Windows 11. Outside of that, I would also point out, I mean, I know you looked into this. There's been a lot of hubbub about Windows 11 requiring you. Did you say you told me it was 10? Isn't it? Z- 10 plus and Coffee Lake Forward is supported. Yeah. I've been thinking about it since you t- we talked about that the other day. I don't think there's a reason. I mean, there's no way around it because they're also going to try to more natively support a lot of ARM processors, I believe, or I'm the, under the impression of. And I don't think there's any reason. They can claim some type of power savings thing, but like, I think it seems a little arbitrary. They're just limiting it. Yeah, and, to and if there's Zen Plus and onwards, which you have Zen Plus, I've Zen too, and guess what? I have Whiskey Lake and Cough and is it Co- and no and Comet Lake laptops. So I think everything I have is covered. But it's bizarre they wouldn't include like KB Lake and Zen One. I'll, yeah, although regardless and, of if it, even though my processor supported i don't know i might get a new one sometime in the near future but we'll see (laughs) i don't think i strictly need it but i i guess if i want to upgrade to windows 11 i have the option although we'll we'll see how that develops i'm not sure we'll see out yeah i'm not sure if i'm gonna want to take i'm not gonna feel rushed to now all i want is windows 10 to stop forcing updates overnight that crash apps and ruin my encoders and my mining well the updates are 40 percent smaller now so that means they can Fuck up your system 40% faster. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, is there anything else to say? I think we hit all of the big beats. I think this could have been a 30-minute presentation. And they. it was weird that there's just like a Games Pass thing for a fourth of it. like a, Or Game Pass thing for a fourth of it. I thought that was odd. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't just save that for the gaming-focused developer part. I don't know. I 
It was a very bad presentation. But look, Windows 11's coming with big scheduling updates. When I said it would, like I said it would. And I'm not exactly excited, though, to be honest, because I'm worried it'll be bad. But I'm not sure it will be. For all we know, it could just be a more solid and stable Windows, which if they do accomplish, that is all I want. Yeah, and at the end of the day, if... The UI isn't exactly what I love, or it's not like there's a huge change. So, you know, if games actually utilize the speed of SSD is like, because if you do the math, it's like, I don't remember the speed of your SSD, but uh, if it was being used perfectly, 5.5 gigabytes a second, if it was being used perfectly, I think games would load faster. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm saying so. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of that's the software, though. They could do better right now. Some games are pretty fast, but, you know, it's. But it's, yeah, I guess we're up to wait for Windows 11 for them to get the asset streaming and Xbox and PlayStation have. But which don't don't write in and get mad I said that. Admit it, guys. It's ridiculous mm-hmm. that PC needs to wait that long for some of these features the consoles have. Although, again, to be fair, it's not like they're utilizing the consoles and PS5 perfectly in half the games. Hey, Rats writes him, Tom, looking at Windows 11 reveal, I noticed that they have Intel Bridge to run ARM64 Android apps on Windows 11. Do you think this is a sign they will support Windows 11 on ARM from the ground up, especially with changes to the schedule for Alder Lake Big Little, by the way? Yeah, right, so that would correspond with ARM CPUs with Big Little. Info is sparse on Windows 10 on ARM compatibility layer for X64 apps and its progress. I did see a Reddit post about someone running Rocket League on a Galaxy Book S, but no details. I think with M1 MacBooks being a runaway success for casual users in terms of battery life and thermal design allowing thin laptops means Microsoft would be shooting themselves in the foot if they don't make something like Rosetta 2, so ARM Windows 11 laptops could be a thing. What do you think? Have you heard anything from your contact? If you can say, I mean, I would just say that everything I've heard consistently for a couple of years is that Windows wants ARM. Microsoft wants ARM to be better supported in Windows, like yeah. consistently. We've been talking about this for a while, I think, and you've been seeing them push this here and there. They they really do want ARM as a direct option um, so they can have cheaper Windows. They just want you to buy Windows, guys. They want a cheaper Windows laptop so they can compete directly with Chromebooks and stuff. Yeah, and, you know, I think the big thing is issues with compatibility, right, with uh, x86 apps. But, you know, I think they'll, you know, if there's a market they think they can get into, Microsoft will figure out a way to get Windows into it. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it is interesting to think about it, too, that connection between better ARM support, ARM apps, and the Alder Lake scheduling updates. Yeah, those all go hand in hand. They're just yeah, working on true. making Windows support more processors and Big Little in general. This yeah. shouldn't surprise anyone. And all this is coming right when Alder Lake launches. No coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> CW writes in, what are your thoughts on the updated Windows 11 processor requirements for 8th gen Intel or newer um, yeah, so I guess we've already kind of talked about that, though. Dude, let me look up one thing here, 8th gen. Yep, Whiskey Lake it is 8th gen. I thought it was. I thought Whiskey Lake was part of Coffee Lake indirectly. Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. so I, all my stuff is compatible with it. I think it is arbitrary, though, somewhat. And I'm sure there's some argument to be made for, like, power gating and, like, low voltage. Because Whiskey Lake actually is very impressive when it came out. It was very efficient for a 14 nanometer. It was better than KB Lake R by, like, 20-30%. But I don't know. I still feel like they could have supported all the way back to Skylake and Zen 1. And, you know... I would understand why they wouldn't do Bulldozer, but... if If a listener knows otherwise, tell us why we're wrong. Yeah, write in. (laughs) 
Yeah, because, you know, we really could be. All right, that is the main stories. Let us now get to the wrap-up, which we have a rather large wrap-up this week. Let's see. Yeah, so the first story, it's just kind of going to order here. I think it's a somewhat reasonable list in terms of, like, how I sequenced it. Uh, the first story is AMD ends dedicated support of the Fury, Tonga, and older GCN, which... And again, so wrap, just so everyone knows, wrap-up is, this is notable news for gaming hardware, but this doesn't deserve a full conversation. But I do want to just give a mention. This seems too early to disable. I mean, especially Tonga and Fury. I understand the 7970. It's, that's 10 years old. I mean, yeah. that's about when you and do it. And I'm trying it. to remember Tonga. What, what, were, what were the Tonga graphics cards again? It's, uh... oh, it's an R9 380. Oh, yeah. behind me right over there. Going right there. Still works. Yeah, that's that's a bit early. What that came out in twenty? I guess it came out in twenty fifteen or so, right? Yeah. So. When when you were selling your Vega sixty four and looking to get a sixty seven hundred XT, that was the card 50s. I agreed to send you. Oh v- yeah, Vega fifty six. You're right. It was which b- because it's still because it's still set. Uh, games honestly only about twenty percent worse than a four seventy. It's honestly not bad still. Like it's solid, solid. You know, fourteen forty p low medium, ten eighty p high setting gaming card at sixty frames. I've found. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I don't know what else what else to put about it. It's it's a bit early. Like what didn't? Uh, am I misremembering this? Didn't they Nvidia recently discontinue support for like Fermi? Yeah, so very, they, and I have a GTX 580, GTX 583 gigabyte that I found still games in 1080p okay with like medium low settings at close to 60. Yeah, so uh, I mean, Nvidia is supporting their cards for a bit longer, <laughs> clearly with that news. But um, yeah, that's unfortunate. I bet there's a decent amount of people that still have like three mm. 380s, 390s in their systems. Yeah, especially 390s and 390Xs. Those ones, I mean, you really, if you got an 8-gigabyte 390X. It's a good which, card. Which at launch was typically a tad stronger than a 480. I mean, yeah, you you were sitting there for, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, five years if all you did is game in, like, 1440p even at 60 frames. You could probably make it work to this day. I hope the support lasts longer in the future. I mean, I really do think this is just them focusing on RDNA, and I think you're going to... I don't think they'll disable Polaris anytime soon, but no. I guess from AMD's... They're still manufacturing, and I guess from AMD's perspective, Polaris and later is all they want to worry about. Um, let me see here. So, so I, I have this here just as an honorable mention as well for the wrap-up. Sony buys Housemark, Nixus, and leaks that they're going to buy Bluepoint. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know that there's much to say about this, um, except that it is very interesting, you know, just Sony doesn't seem to be screwing around anymore. They're not buying as big as studios, but again, a lot of their studios, like, again, like I think Naughty Dog has four teams now and <laughs> something insane. So like, this is a lot of supports besides Housemark, which makes main games. Now this is them trying to keep up with as little money as they have compared to Microsoft as much as they can though. Actually, another interesting thing on this note Housemark CEO said the usual major other players were trying to purchase us recently. Oh, okay. Suggesting that Microsoft was trying to buy Housemark. And I'm a that that and that's the thing. It's like 
Housemark. I, I think Sony should have probably bought them sooner. That's a weird acquisition for Microsoft. And to me, that just sounds like they're trying to fuck over Sony, if I'm being 100% honest. Like, I don't know how else to interpret yeah, which, that. Yeah, all is fair. You know, it's business, you know. It's nothing personal. Yeah, I mean, I just question if Housemark would even be a studio in five years if Microsoft acquired them. Although I, I have a theory that the 30 studios is going to be 20 in four years. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think so, too. I think it's going to be, hey, look, we need to catch up with how many this the amount of headcount Sony has making games, which, again, a lot of the studios Microsoft spot are far smaller than a lot of stu- Sony's bigger studios. Well, a lot of those you know, are just a lot of them are more comparable to like Nixus. Yeah, a lot of know? them are just support studios, too. It's, it's yeah. important to point out. But yeah, but I think when you look at them buying, you know, Obsidian and Bethesda, that wasn't strategic. That was we can get them, so let's do it. Um, we can prevent Sony from trying to buy Starfield, which they were. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I don't have anything to say to about Nixus. I've never heard mm-hmm. of the company. They sound like they're a competent porting company, so it makes sense why Sony bought them. Um, they need to start porting their PS3 games if they're not going to do backwards compatibility. Yeah. Well, or also the likely reason porting more games to PC. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> and yeah, which uh, is what Sony's going to do a lot more of as well. I think Housemark and Bluepoint were the two most obvious acquisitions they they could have made since. I mean, <laughs> like since Insomniac, th- those were the two studios everyone knew that they were going to buy next. I'm curious why they didn't leak. Why they unofficially announced Bluepoint's acquisition through a, a leak? Pretty much. I I don't know why they didn't just announce Who it knows? at the same time. But you know. Housemark and Bluepoint are both really good studios, and they've been pretty much de facto Sony exclusive studios for a while now. Speaking of another person that almost was de facto Sony exclusive <laughs> studios, I've also added here in the wrap up about Hideo Kojima. Now, this is a rumor, mm-hmm. and a lot of websites are reporting on it like it's not. So that's odd to me. But Hideo Kojima's deal with Xbox reaches key milestones. So it sounds like, I don't know, did you read this? It sounds like. And 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 to be fair, Phil Spencer has clearly been putting Kojima references in the background behind him on cast recently. So this isn't all surprising. It, it seems like Microsoft is trying to secure Hideo, one of at least one of Hideo's next games as a Microsoft game. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, I don't know what else you can really say. Like this sounds like a super early, like this is like a handshake that they're going to make a deal later, as far as I can tell. So. And it's also added on top of that a rumor from like, well, a, a supposed leak from Venture Beat. I, I don't really know what their track record is for leaks, if I'm being honest. So I'm not going to try to t- talk uh, to speak to their credibility. But um, I mean, there's been rumors about this for a while. And, you know, we'll see what comes of it. Like, even in Venture Beat's own article, they like in the last paragraph go out to set as far as saying, this doesn't necessarily even mean it's a game between uh, an exclusive for Microsoft. So it, it's very early and I'm sure we'll hear something more official about it later. If there's anything of interest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and um, I mean, that brings us again, right to the next one. Uh, the medium dev blooper team partners with Konami intensifying rumors of a new Silent Hill game. So all of this is fascinating, like because I want to be clear about things I've confirmed. I've said I'm mostly sure a new Silent Hills is coming. I've said that I'm almost 100% sure an MGS remake's coming involving Bluepoint. 
And also that Kojima's not really working on the new Metal Gear Solid remake. It's funny how all of these leaks technically line up. I did assume that the new Silent Hills would be the one that they would be rebooting at least. Because they they did work on Silent Hills for a while. So it's like, are they really going to throw away that half-made game? Or are they going to re... I don't know, but it is... And, know, what, how, what do you what uh, do you I'll, make of the Bloober team thing? I'll add, uh, so I think there's always the chance that they're not con- contracting uh, Bloober team to make Silent Hills or Silent Hill. There, there, there's always a chance they're making some other horror game. Sure, I think Bloober team pretty much only makes horror games, so it's probably a horror game. And the obvious logical jump you make is they're developing a Silent Hill game. I mean. Who knows? Maybe they are. They so you're be. saying that you're saying if you actually read the actual facts, there's nothing here saying it will be. Yeah. And then you've also heard that weird rumor that there might be two Silent Hill games being developed concurrently for some reason. That's I don't know. That's been percolating for a while, too. So I don't know. Maybe there's two Silent Hill games coming. If Konami is licensing one Silent Hill game and then de- developing another one. That's bizarre as well. But, you know. I don't know how much Konami gives a shit about the gaming sphere, so I I could imagine Konami doing. I don't that. think they do. They want pachinko machines and health centers. Yeah, I, so I could imagine Konami being like, "Fuck it, sure, make two Silent Hill games at the same time." <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know. Also, the medium's coming to PS Five. I'm just looking at an article here. I didn't know about that. Oh yeah, I, yeah. That, not that it matters. That I mean, was I'd like probably um, get it on PC, but it's like validate. I think it was like rated in Australia or something, and that's how oh. it leaked. Or may- so now that previous Xbox might, well, PC two exclusive is coming to PlayStation. So I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on. I guess is what we're saying with studio acquisitions between Microsoft, Sony, and all these other rumors. But it would be funny if Silent Hills came back, didn't involve Kojima. A Metal Gear Solid remake happened, didn't involve Kojima, and actually Kojima was working on a an Xbox exclusive, which is a potential outcome, guys. And, yeah, and, and Kojima makes the next Strand-type game on the Xbox yeah. cloud. Yeah, we'll see. All right. <laughs> I'll give All right, it either let us way. Move. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. All right, we love Death Stranding. Let us move on, then, to the remaining. Again, we said there's a lot in the wrap-up here today, guys. Um, Intel officially delays Sapphire Rapids to quarter one, although I've kind of heard that it might not really launch until the very end of quarter one, that that could mm-hmm. be a paper launch. It's funny. I thought, wasn't this... I think I always reported... The the high volume of Sapphire Rapids will be quarter one anyways. So it's I don't even pay attention to what a, Intel's official when, statements are. It's funny people say, "Did you see this delay?" And I go, "No, I don't. I don't pay attention to Intel's public statements because they don't mean anything." And I, I I don't really have anything to add aside from like when I see quarter one, my assumption is end of quarter yeah. one. <laughs> like yeah. oh, that's just blanket always. Qu- quarter one means end of quarter one. Yeah, and then we have from someone on Twitter talking about AMD Monet, which is supposedly 12 nanometer global foundries, four core Zen 3 with maybe four RDNA 2 compute units. That's interesting. I wouldn't put this in here because there seems to be basically no information from anyone that I would trust or I see as reputable reporting on it. But I did ask a source about it, and he said, that sounds like a thing I'm aware is coming out. So this, it sounds like it's not crazy 
that AMD is working on a quad-core Zen 3. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a fascinatingly good idea. I, I think four compute units seems a little small, but again, I don't know how big these RDNA 2 compute units will be, you know, <laughs> on 12 nanometer. And I would suspect this will be a 25-watt chip with the full thing. And then, you know, it's on 12 nanometer, so I expect it to be half the cores, half the compute units of what they could fit on seven at the same power usages. Um, But, you know, if it's good, that's... This is a... There's no reason for AMD to cut down, even Cezanne, frankly, but Rembrandt, to four cores. The yields are good enough. They don't need to. There's no need for this. And using Global Foundry's 12 nanometer for some version of Zen 3 on four cores, that's I think that's common sense. And just make that be the low end. And in fact, this will be very good to sell as this four <laughs> compute unit quad core for like 80 bucks for do-it-yourself. Perfect. This is perfect well, to fill out the low end um, from now on too. Well, yeah, and that was, I mean, AMD used to have that type of stuff all the time. And maybe they've, recently been trying to move away from that but there's still a place in the market for low end and you know yields are too good on seven nanometer to really disable cores so i don't know makes makes sense that they would put make a 12 nanometers n3 thing yeah it's almost it's weird though it's almost like you wonder if they're like we don't need see if this is real and it comes out anytime soon like it comes out this year let's say which i don't know anything about monet so i'm just yeah rampant speculation guys this could be which it seems like a lot of the reporting on this is rampant speculation too actually when i look at some of this stuff like i would say that you could see why they were like dude we don't need van gogh if microsoft surface isn't going to use it because we have rembrandt coming and this fills out the low end this will be even cheaper yeah although i hear van gogh is supposedly in a portable steam device so we'll just have to say um zhpg is now sampling to partners so that's exciting this is right on schedule for a some sort of launch at the very end of this year or early next year probably to laptop first um before the desktop chips i believe i reported the desktop chips should be quarter one next year laptop probably before that and then 4700s bringing this up too i have to because i put out the debug everyone kept saying that the 4700S was an Xbox Series X APU. And I put out a debunking video, guys. What did it say? It said it's not the Xbox. And I said that I think it's a custom die that's separate from the consoles, unlikely to be the PS5. But all I know is that it's definitely not the Xbox. It seems like 99% chance based on these die shots, this is repackaged PS5 dies, which is interesting. A little surprising to me because that's, I don't know. Maybe it's just not up to Sony. Maybe Sony has no say, but I know Sony does not like it when you use their devices or use their parts of their devices and other things because they see it as a security vector where someone could learn how to do something to the PS5. But yeah, it looks like it is, though. It looks like the 4700S is indeed a PS5 with the compute units disabled. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going... This isn't like some super technical analysis by me but i mean i'm looking at them and they look the same <laughs> so yeah yeah and the benchmarks showed that it's neck it performs the same as zen 2 for those that call it zen 1.5 <laughs> jesus get zen 1.5 with a couple scoops of zen 3 on it tom <laughs> I mean, the way people talked about these consoles where RDNA 1.5, Zen 2, Zen 1.5, it's just, no, that's just not true. (laughs) It's not true for the Xbox either. 
Also, Samsung testing GPU, AMD GPU in their new Exynos SoC. And again, surprise, it performs better than their own GPUs. Don't need to dwell on that. And Xbox confirms no revisions till likely till 2023 is how I read this story. And they say won't be coming soon. Technically, when you see won't be coming soon, I would say all that means is not this year, which it's like, duh. But I would I would infer that means they might not have one next year. But even then, I'm not mm. sure because soon doesn't mean a whole lot to these companies. They, they It means whatever they want it to mean. I, I I've thought the Xbox would come out with a new revision of the, the series x in 22 or 23 like you know since they announced the name of of the, console, the series yeah it's like yeah, yeah they're gonna make series. one in 22 or 23 i just don't think they'd want to do one until they could get something that's notably better for the same price so i think what you you'd look at yeah i think what you would obviously expect is them to do maybe actually like a mid 2023 rdna3 refresh that brings you something that's double the performance and then they could bring out a new series s that on the on five nanometer that just tries to get a little close to the series x in performance but not yeah. quite there and it's just like keeping the marketing that series s is for the latest 1440p and xbox series x 2023 edition is the latest you know 4k 60 gaming i think that's what they would do yeah but not yet. Not until RDNA 3 and Zen 4 or something well, already. Yeah, but I mean, 2022, like, will Zen 4, will Zen the, I mean, not Zen, Jesus. Will RDNA uh, 3 even be out by then? Like, there's a chance. Not 2020. I mean, not until mid that year, yeah. Probably so, not till mid. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't think they would launch a car, another console with RDNA 2 in it, so. All right, let us then move on. That is the wrap-up. It was as long as several full stories, but there was just so many smaller things to discuss. Tick Dickler writes in, and he asks, Fantastic A6000 series review. Thank you, Tick Dickler. It really highlighted to me the value proposition of DG2. As a creator, what would DG2 have to perform at in code like be priced at for you, Tom, to get and use it as your main? And I said, and I wrote down some notes for it, you know, thank you, you know, for the kind words. Honestly, it would just have to more consistently accelerate things in the top end more in all my apps. Eventually, in a lot of my editing apps, bottlenecks just pop up in some of them that are usually software related if you have something stronger than a 3070. But to answer your question, the Radeon 7 rendered a video in like 20 to 30 minutes, depending on the video. I'm saying a typical one, typical length. Ampere does it in 8 to 16 minutes. Uh, RDNA 2 with the latest updates seems to do it in like uh, 15 to 20. It is faster than the Radeon 7 was. And if A6000 could do my videos in under five minutes, I'd probably buy it. Although, to be honest, I'd probably buy the A5000 for half the price and do it in six minutes. <laughs> but I would do it. I would pay up for it. Um, it just doesn't seem worth it in enough of my apps to justify it. And plenty of my apps, the 3070 is just as fast. So, guys, five grand's a lot for a graphics card. Not worth the money for me. If it was like one minute, though, like I could just snap out a video like that, or if I had to render a podcast, which sometimes I do in Gerard, you know, in an emergency, it's like if I could snap out a podcast in, you know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, instead of right now, it takes about 30, which is still way faster than it used to take over an hour to render that burning thing, <laughs> um, then I would pay for it. But that's what it would take. And uh, yeah, just another plug. 
Check out my A6000 3080 Ti review, guys. I think it turned out really well. And I did come to the com- opinion firmly that GA102 was ruined by GDR6X meme. And that people really overstate the performance of big Ampere. I mean, I found the 6800 XT is neck and neck with the 3080 Ti. It's even in 4K, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, once again, if you look at the benchmarks, they're not that far away, you guys. No, they're the same. They're the same cards. At stock, the 3080 Ti wins. Overclock to overclock, the 6800 XT ties or wins. Above it's, the, it's the same. Above the 3070 tie. Um, everything's the 3070 the, tie. The tie. Uh, <laughs> everything's the fucking same. I did throw some jokes in there. I even threw an Inglorious Bastards le- reference, Dan. You should watch it. You'd enjoy it. <laughs> They're like, this is a very comedy-laden video, atypical <laughs> Tom. <laughs> like, I would just go, so did I feel the performance of the NVIDIA tie? And it just flashed to the guy, tie! <laughs> I, I thought it was, I just can't get over how silly that was. They said tie a bunch of times. That may, Am I insane? Jensen Wang unveiled the 2080 Ti, and he said Ti, right? Yeah, he said Ti. Okay, yeah. because I, I was wondering for a second, has this just been like, a mass delusion the yeah. entire DIY space has had where we say T.I. You when the T. official I, yeah. name is Ty. <laughs> Although Ty sounds stupid. Well, I heard the argument. It's, sta- it's short for titanium, whatever that really means, though. Like titanium cards, I don't. Um, and so that's why it's more correct to say Ty. But no, it's also more the periodic symbol, isn't that, for titanium? So when you just say T.I., it's not, not like you just go, ah, for like periodic symbols. or. Uh, I mean... I don't know you how say the name. I don't know how you say your chemical. I mean your element names. I've never just said it like a word. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm 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 a science boy, so I think I, I can think say it's that. an English thing, though. I think in England they do that more often, and I think that guy may have been English. Yeah, they do. They do weird stupid <laughs> you stuff with just, English. <laughs> you got yeah. F all you English people. <laughs> We're just kidding, everybody. We know we actually have a large amount of English listeners. I did go to college there for a bit. We appreciate you. QH Freddy writes him, would it be wise for Intel to differentiate between a gaming and a productivity-focused lineup with their Z-dedicated cards, just like NVIDIA does with GeForce and their once-called Quadro lineup? I know it's what, no, it's, X, I think what they once called Tesla. They, they obsoleted the Tesla lineup now because they don't want it to be associated with the cars, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, though they still call them Quadro. But um, I think they will have professional cards. Look, if the gaming card, right, has 16 gigabytes, I think it makes sense to make a professional 32 gigabyte card if it's really good at encoding. Yeah. I do. I think Intel should do it. Um, Do I think they should overly segment some of the professional stuff? Not really. I think they should probably just have a professional 32 and a professional 16 and maybe a professional 12 from the lower, the 128, wait, the 128? No, that one's using 128, but I believe the 128 EU die, which I know is launching, I think at the same time or as the big one to my knowledge. Um, Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't think they should overly segment it. I think they should give the gaming cards as many benefits as they possibly can, including full encoding performance. Just give more RAM and more stable drivers to the professional ones. Because NVIDIA kind of does that, Dan. They they have like directly, it seems, limited performance of their gaming cards in some apps arbitrarily. And, you know, we've been talking about that with uh, mining performance. With mining, yeah, how, the elephant in the room, yeah. <laughs> how obnoxious that is, so, 
Yeah, I would prefer. And they did it with Pascal. They did it with Titan Pascal. They updated Pascal after Vega launched to perform in apps like 50% better. So I prefer them not do that with DG2, obviously, but I think there's pretty much always a space for a professional card with more RAM that uses less energy. Right. And again, has rock solid 24 7 tested drivers exactly. for that one. Yeah. You know that. So I think I, I think that's all Intel should do. I don't think they should do any of the artificial crap NVIDIA does. Yeah. They need as many positives as they can for their first launch. Maybe they do that eventually if they take market share. But now I would argue it never made sense for NVIDIA to do that either, to be honest. But anyways, Timo writes in, what is the significance of Intel's Ireland fab construction project dated to 2019 through 2023? Tom hinted that 2024 Intel should have nice things coming in the server space. Right now, they even rely on TSMC. So is it crucial for new fabs to get smoothly finished? I see many question marks here. You're European, aren't you? Potential big company risks for Intel. Intel is hard to get an understanding of for me. Their website is mostly big company jargon, lots of departments, many locations, some leakers, sources, even may crosstalk different conflicting things. Not to mention the peculiar communication, marketing, and publicity lately, Kadori versus their keynotes. Yeah. It resembles Microsoft versus Sony 2013, specifically the Xbox One with announcement blunders. When MS said DRM, Sony countered, then MS with drew it out of nowhere. Big companies like Intel can survive with these problems, but it sure is a risk in the long run with their current state. So my big question is then, what communication from Intel can we listen to and what should we ignore? Yeah, and I will just say this. I put down some notes for this question. Very good question, Timo. Um, I, I, my Intel sources, you know, some of them I know, yeah, without going into too many details when they say something, it's true. And they only know this when it's 100% finalized. But then other sources that know stuff really early, have, like there's like for a few of them or more, and they disagree with each other all the time from different parts of the company, how things are going to turn out at Intel. And so my Intel leaks actually require more work, I think, than any other leaks. I think I'm kind of known for them at this point where I just have to sift through like, it's different sources each time, but let's say usually there's at least three to five of them. And it's like, okay, he said this, she said this, th that person said that. We're going to put them all together. What's probably true? Line it all up. And then I question each of them to be like, okay, are you actually sure of this? Because this person, are you actually sure of this? And then I have to take all of that after I'm done doing that and go, what do I think Intel is actually capable of looking at their capacity, their fabs? And then decide if I can even trust some of the things they think they'll do because half the time they don't succeed. It's it's actually a lot of work. And and so when it comes to what can we trust, what should we listen to, and what should we ignore, frankly, if you're just a layman and you're not listening to all of my leaks as closely as possible, I would argue just actual reviews because and firm announcements because like I said earlier in this podcast, I don't pay attention to their public roadmaps that much at all. Yeah, and I mean, you have Kadori like, I don't know, just saying stuff sometimes now. And, you know, those are obviously real things. Uh, they'll probably come to a market at this point because it seems like the graphics is actually uh, progressing well now. But I don't know. Intel is a, a gigantic company. I think like 100,000 people work there. Clearly, they've been thrown into chaos to some extent. Seems like you, like based on what you, you can infer, there was some type of s minor civil war in the company. So yeah. there's yeah, there's a lot of countering stream information streams coming from Intel right now. Unsurprisingly, like what happens when a 
company of a hundred thousand people becomes disorganized. <laughs> well, and you can kind of see why they're almost just unjustifiable, right? Understandably, would be like you have one team that's the fab team, and they were saying bad things. Then you have the marketing and like product roadmap teams, and you know they're gonna just go, yeah, ten nanometers working fine, because they assume it is. Well, the fab team's screaming bloody murder, but then maybe some leadership in the middle isn't telling the rest of Intel that things aren't going well at the fab teams. But so yeah, I mean, like it's almost understandable why you would have the engineers saying one thing, the product like roadmap people saying one thing, and then the fab team saying another. You know, it's it's kind of understandable. And you know, based on what I've heard from you, I think. One of the most universal things is that um, Pat Gelsinger is a good choice for CEO. So hopefully and he's fixing that. Yeah. So ho- I, I, I'm optimistic about Pat Gelsinger, at least. Everyone should be. He's compared to Lisa Sue and even said, dude, he could be better than her. You just wait. He's he should. They, I mean, they say he should have been CEO 10 years ago oh, and he's going to you know Fireworks so, are starting. <laughs> No, yeah, and I thought that would happen, too. I'm starting to hear fireworks here as well. It's like, let's not even edit it out. Let's just leave the fireworks <laughs> in since we're recording on the 4th of July. How about it? People, you're just um, going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, let's... I mean, a- any other specific thing to him, I would just say, I Intel needs to get all of their fabs working, and 10 nanometer is a real node, and it needs to become a good node this year. 7 nanometer needs to be out by 2023, and they still need TSMC. Yeah. I would say all of this is what's crucial. They plan to use all of this. All of it's crucial. Yeah. Wasted Harold writes in, Hello, Tom and Dan. I hope you are well. I mean, I think we're pre- above average. Pretty good. Yeah. I had a thought. Well, you were talking about NVIDIA's reasoning for limiting mining performance on their new cards and that it was to make them less appealing to miners. What if their intent was to, instead, help miners by removing some of the competition from the gamers trying to mine themselves? I realize this idea isn't founded on anything other than my own thought experiment, but I found it interesting, at least on the surface, any thoughts? No, I don't think so. I mean, I really know these these hash rate cards limited cards are really just there first to limit uh, theory of mining because that's what most people do and then it runs through cuda with a handshake to a dedicated pro like they can limit future algorithms if they so choose if ethereum were to die tomorrow like some bug happens and the blockchain falls apart or their move over to proof of stake kills the chain <laughs> like if that which is coming by the way miners if that were to happen I think what you would see is then a lot of miners move over to Monero or something else. And then NVIDIA just yeah. nerfs that and they can in an update. And look, they couldn't firmly nerf it. Surely there would be previous drivers where you could use it to mine Monero. But it would be enough that if you're looking to buy cards to mine with 10 years, not 10, but like a year from now, you would think twice about buying the limited ones and you'd probably pay a little extra for the non-limited ones. You would, you know. And so that's what it's about. That little bit of doubt so that the resale value isn't as strong as it has been, so they can make you buy their new stuff and not flood the market in the past. That, that's really what it is. Yeah. All right, let us move on. Another question here from Tick Tickler. Hey, guys. Have you seen the latest Game Pass numbers? 
23 million as of April. Gaming as a whole is growing, granted, but still, that's a lot of money. If they reach the target 30 million by Halo Infinite's launch, gain exclusivity with like EA, oh, that's not happening, or buy up literally every third-party dev left, that's not happening. Do you think Sony's existing dev stable and so far superior, okay, so but now you're saying superior execution, well, Sony's not perfect, I don't know, will be enough to weather the storm, or do we have to wait for the Apple console to have a viable long-term competitor. I'm usually a pony for Sony, but if Phil Spencer swings a new Vegas too, I'm changing my middle name to Game Pass. Cheers. Um, I mean, there's a few things you brought up. Number one, it is growing. I remember when PS Now was the most popular streaming service and PS Plus was envied. It still is envied in some ways. Like, I'd still say PS Plus gives you better games than gold. But, um, yeah, I mean... There's no way around it. Game Pass is big now. Um, personally, I think for long-term stability and profitability, uh, Microsoft needs to get Game Pass to about 50 million subscribers at $20 a month, which is a tall order, but there's no way around it. It is growing rapidly, right? They need, need to eliminate that $1 bullshit, though, because they, they're, they're clearly just letting it slide for now. They will crack down on that soon. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure how much money they're actively spending to keep game pass up and running but we've talked about it, it though it's it several triple a game developments it's it's more but, than several it's um, like 10 they can make 10 exclusives and just sell you them probably instead of pay for game pass but you know that is three probably three billion dollars in revenue at this point so that's a that's a lot of money i don't know if it's enough to upkeep their 30 studios as well as make all of the indie and other acquisitions they have to make to get the games on Game Pass, but I really want to see a spreadsheet, Tom. I don't think I'm I know. Well, well I and all to, we've though. seen the stuff I haven't analyzed it for a while. The last analysis I did was like half a year to a year ago or something, and I, as far as I could tell, is it was definitely losing money. But um, that's about all there is to say. I think it still is losing money, but I can't say anything besides like, it's gained a lot of subscribers right now. Yeah, like I just want to know. How much did they spend to get MLB the show on Game Pass? I'm curious. About oh. a lot. But <laughs> Yeah, but it was worth it to slap Sony in the face really hard. Oh yeah. I would also just say then though, um, in terms of the other things you brought up, I don't think they're buying EA. That would be absurd. I, that, I don't well, think EA. I think he's suggesting uh more exclusivity with EA with Game Pass. Like they kind of have that package mm. deal. I think that's what that's what on means, PlayStation. But... I kind of doubt that would happen, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I would say though, in terms of like, is Sony uh, functioning well enough that if if Microsoft goes wild and buys a bunch more things and they gain more people, is Sony going to survive? I think so. For now, again, I keep saying, guys, like here's what we know now. Xbox has a lot of games coming. Game Pass is clearly not going away in a year, and it's here for the next few years. They're in it for the long haul. And at the same time, though, they actually need to get any of those games they keep announcing out, whereas Sony keeps launching games. And I think there's a lot of things Sony can do to not directly compete with Game Pass, but like make you want to have PS Plus for, let's be honest, a lot less money. Like people, like it's $30 usually on sale or $35, I think, for like a year of PlayStation Plus. And they just brought, what did they just bring? Plague Tale? I remember playing that in Game Pass. Now mm -hmm. you can play it on PlayStation. They bring a lot of games to PS Now. I think all they need to do is actually use some of these teams to port PS3 
I've said this to Colin Moriarty in the last game, PS3 and PS2 games to PS4 five with 4k support at a reasonable price and just give you a free ps3 remaster every month next to something like plague tale or you know one of their pre or like they got they got control ultimate out when it came out they had control ultimate yeah guys that was all sony needs to do is make it kind of the hbo versus netflix argument and they'll be fine there's room for both of these companies to make a lot of money and not put each other out of business yeah but I sony agree. needs to keep get like but sony needs to take them seriously though let's be clear yeah, and, and I don't know, just to quickly speak to other things, like, I don't think Microsoft can keep doing, I, I don't think it's reasonable that Microsoft to be do, continue to do acquisition things like they did with Bethesda. I think I think that's like a, a one thing, once one-time thing. I don't think they're going to go buy another company for $5 billion, because that, Microsoft has a lot of money, but that's a lot of money for like their small Microsoft's smallest division financially. I think you'll see them maybe do one more big purchase. I'm not sure who it is. Maybe Kojima, but I think that's what you're going to see. Yeah. You know, I don't think you're going to see them buy up every single studio. And I don't, and I think Sony's got maybe one or two in them where, and which I'm, is not to say that I'm saying they have more than Microsoft. Sony hasn't done a bunch of big, my house mark costs them nothing compared yeah. to the and, stuff Microsoft's been buying. I'm saying, I think Sony is going to seriously try to buy one or two big studios. And if we're looking at Kojima productions, like I'm looking them up, they have 80 employees. They have Kojima. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming if Kojima even wants to be bought by anyone, I'm assuming it would still be substantially less than like a billion. I'm guessing it would be like in the 100 million range somewhere in that. But just based on guess, knowing Insomniac, recently. you see, because Insomniac was bought for over 200 million. I would think they uh, Kojima would try to get the same price as them. Yeah, maybe. I, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> Which isn't necessarily fair, but hey, it's a seller's market right now <laughs> for game studios because of this competition. So, yeah. Connor writes in, hey, Tom, you go on a lot about playing Mag. I do. It was one of my favorite online shooters. But have you tried playing S Squad or Hell Let Loose? Squad is a milsim that has 100 player matches. Squads are a max of nine players and are led by squad leaders. Squad leaders communicate with each other and the commander to coordinate the team. Um... No, honestly, Battlefield, you would agree, Dan, occupied yeah. the mantle of squad shooter for us, which luckily they doubled down on 64 players on every format and like squads. Although they've certainly done squad commands. They work, though. I think, you know, playing Battlefield 1, Battlefield 5, when a squad leader sets an objective, I'd say most of the squad usually follows it. Or even if it's a squad of randos, at least one out of the four will follow me and you. Or something like it, it, yeah. people follow orders. Generally speaking, I find I don't find it that it's not as well followed as Mag was, where it was like, "Wow, did everyone follow?" <laughs> but I think it, that was the SOCOM community. So of course they all work together. They had the lineage there. Um, but I mean, no, Battlefield's pretty much occupied that. And honestly, one of the reasons I liked Mag was that it wasn't a milsim, but it had the like. And again, for especially for the year it came out, like over a decade ago. It had the right over a decade or well, was it a decade? well over a decade ago now. It was it like 2010 like, or something. Let me see. I think it would have been like 2008 or 2009 at this point. Maybe, maybe 2009. I don't know. And, no, 2010. I guess it's only 11 Two, years. Ago. Oh, I was right. Suck it, Dan. Oh, um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got you, man. Uh, but no, I, I think um, the reason we liked MAG is for 2010, it had heavy weapons and class customization. More than like a lot of like Call of Duty and Battlefield games even. Like really like four attach, like a few attachments on your gun. Yeah, for the time, definitely. For the time it was up there and like different abilities and like, honestly, yeah, like like really customizable squads and player types. It was really cool. And and it wasn't a Milsim. I liked that customizable, not Milsim, not, not like a, not like, you know, Halo or like resistance where they have a ton of health, especially like Halo, I should say like Halo or gears, but like so semi-realistic, but not even as realistic as like battlefield. I liked that more so than I like the Milsim. I want, I think, especially for squad gameplay on a massive battlefield, I think it condones, more teamwork if you have more health because you're less likely to just all be getting sniped in one hit yeah quickly. and i mean i can't speak to squat to the, that game specifically but i don't know milsims obviously it allows some zerging though like we saw also in battlefield where people just bonsai charge if you have too much health but like milsims i don't know they just have bizarre bizarre uh control schemes sometimes it's like i i i don't know who thought of this like um I remember trying to play Arma 2 once and I was played for five minutes mm. and I was like, oh, I'm never touching this because this has the dumbest control scheme I've ever seen in a game. <laughs> you just made a lot of Arma 2 players mad. To which you, well, he'd probably be like, good. <laughs> if you like it, that's fine. But I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, I never got into it. I thought it was cool to mess around with. I never got into it. But we don't know playing, like, what is it, uh, Squad. I don't know about that one, though. So for all we know, it has great controls. I would assume they are good by now, too. Yeah. Anyways. You have a scared uh, Reese just... Dan just... You're Reese. Hey, hey, don't go where all the wires are. <laughs> Sit down. Uh, there's a bunch of fireworks going off, and Reese just came upstairs and is now sitting next to me under the desk. <laughs> yeah. It's okay, Reese dog. It's okay. Sit. Sit down. Lay down. Just take a chill pill. <laughs> she was good earlier today on the walk. Oh, she looks real scared. No. All right. Well, it is 4th of July. That's what happens, Reese. Once a year, you get real scared of fireworks. <laughs> AC666 writes in again. He says, Tom, I have to disagree with you about the 64-player battles in Battlefield, although I've never played Battlefield. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to have to back up here. I don't want counterpoints when you haven't played the game. I played Battlefront 1 and 2. Dude, Battlefront 1 and 2 is way more chaotic, and it's not because of player count. It's because it just has a bigger noob base. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I'm going to have to... No offense, AC, AC. I appreciate you writing in, but when the second you say you haven't played it and you compared it to Battlefront, Battlefront is different. You know? So, I would just say that... And we already covered this. People generally follow orders in Battlefield games I play. Yeah. You know? I mean, I will say, I do... Much better than they did in Battlefield 3. I, I do agree. I'm worried about the increased player... Count to 128. I'm worried that will be a bit too much. We'll see, though. But we just have to assume the maps are bigger, and they will just have... I think they're going to have bigger squads, too. I, I don't see why it won't work. Yeah. Honestly. Because once you get above, like, 32 players, and even then, it usually needs to have squads. Like, I think Killzone 2 had squads, even though it really wasn't meant to be a squad-based game. It, once you hit 32 players, you kind of need squads. Once you get above 32 players, you either have squad commands or it's chaotic. Mm -hmm. Like, that's... That's a lot, no matter what. So we disagree, AC. We're just going to leave it at that. You need to go play it, then, if you want to. 
Ivan K writes in, hi, when do you think we will see major AI breakthroughs that are depicted in modern literature? Your channels inspire me to go and study tech, and I'm thinking if AI will be much more important in the foreseeable future, and if we will be able to get a robot for housework, for example, for a reasonable amount of money in approximately 10 years, to which I wrote, you already have robots for housework, Ivan K. Yeah, and I don't know, um, there's a... War College, now Angry Planet. I think the last one that came out that was about which this. we condone Angry Planet a lot. We love that podcast. Yeah, um, they they were discussing this exact thing, like what new warfare will look like, and it, the uh, guest they had on, who's an expert on, you know, develop a uh, hybrid warfare, which is you know the new development of warfare that's increasingly about cyber, uh, says. Cyber and misinformation, Cyber like and misinformation. doing one thing and saying another and just seeing if they do anything about it. And his major conclusion is that the more traditional warfare, how it will be revolutionized is AI essentially doing the scheduling for everything like, oh, an F-35 needs to be here. Oh, that F-35 was shot down. What can we what's near? Then quick schedule out a new task. And essentially he thinks AI is fast and dumb, not smart and slow like a human. You know, that's a good way to put it, too. It can quickly schedule a bunch of tasks. It doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't know why it's doing it, but it does it really fast and it's tasks really fast and efficiently. Unlike humans that are really good at doing a bunch of tasks inefficiently, like what we think AI will develop into. Right. And he kind of also taught. I mean, they kind of depicted that in one of the Call of Duties, which was interesting, I think, as well. And, And I agree. Like, I think when you look at AI especially like modern warfare showed this and i've seen this depicted by other people too like because this is a real problem for both russian and american forces fighting in the middle east is that they can just get those one thousand dollar drones from best buy put explosives on it send it at a multi-million dollar vehicle and possibly knock it out maybe one drone won't do it 99 percent of the time but if they send 100 drones it swarms or, it. Even if you get 500 drones, that's a $500,000 attack. That's not that much. That's a $500,000 attack. You can destroy an airbase. A lot cheaper than a one mil, um, like $10 million cruise missile. So yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's kind of the future there is swarming cheap, reliable drones that do their job exactly as well as you know they will. A consistent, I should say, drones. But they don't always succeed. But it's a thousand bucks, so you have a chance of knocking out that tank with a one thousand dollar weapon, that, and then send a hundred of them at it. Yeah. So that's what I think the future of AI is. As for what that means for, for in you, terms of warfare, for you in the home, I'm not sure. I think it. I think delegating tasks by AI. I think that's probably what it will be most efficient for. And maybe that, like an AI enabled home, would be something that you know efficiently schedules like a smart home, not a robot that cleans your house well, because we already have Roombas. And if you get a Roomba like 50 to twice as good as it is right now, I don't know. I think that's good enough for most vacuuming needs. Right. And then you, I mean, the most you could even come up with is some sort of a drone that flies around and cleans surfaces, but that requires a lot of energy and docks itself. I could see that happening in 10 years, but I don't really see, I think, yeah, right. I think it's more likely that the domestic AI stuff is going to be that specific tasks. This undocks, flies over, cleans the table, flies back. This isn't going to be some like walking iRobot thing. 
You yeah, know, I think that's, you know how expensive one of those iRobot humanoids would be? And they touch on that in the game Detroit Become Human. Like, they have, like, 50-year loans and, like, mm-hmm. but you get to have a manservant. You know, like, I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. I think that type of stuff, if it does happen, will be, like, 50 years, 100 years from now. I mean, we'd have to have such advanced technology for, like, a full domestic servant type robot thing. I think, again, you're just going to have different little drones that remove from their docks and clean specific things well. And why do we need to create a new smart species? Let's just not do that. Can we just avoid <laughs> the dystopian future? You know, leave yeah. it to the uh, video games and movies. I've got a dog, Dan, just putting her head on my lap because she's scared of the fireworks. It hasn't gotten too bad here yet. So I think I think Wendy's doing fine still. Dan, down here in Nashville, we're patriots. <laughs> All right, unlike you city slickers up there, Massachusetts. Although I live in rural Massachusetts, so. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, there's just probably more people near me to blow things up, yeah. Um, definitely pro fireworks here, though, just like Peoria. <laughs> um, so I guess that's it then, Dan. That's all of the stories. This is a rather standard episode length, actually. We weren't sure if it would come together as a standard length one because, God, we covered so much in the last episode. But um, I don't know. Any last words, Dan? Any last things to discuss? No, I don't think so. All right. I mean, I'll just plug my A6030 ATI review again. You know, remember that Moore's Laws Dead is fan supported at Patreon at Moore's Laws Dead there. Please go there. Support us. I mean, you're buying us like a cup of coffee a month. You know, we're trying to get to the next goal so we can afford upgrading quality for Broken Silicon and just more and our videos again. You'll get exclusive podcasts like Die Shrink. We got one coming out with SteamOS, a Google Glass episode, a handheld gaming episode coming up. We just had the the recent mailback episode come out. So all of that's there, including early ad-free things and the ability to ask guest questions and uh, tell your friends about us. You yeah. know, and you know what? Have a good 4th of July, everybody. Or I hope you did. I yeah. hope you did you will, have a good 4th of July and you're having a great summer. We will not be sending this episode back in time so you can listen to it before the 4th of July. So I hope you had a good one. To get a time machine, go back. Listen to it before. And make your prior self feel better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, 
please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, UK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Alkwari, Frederick Cloud, James Crasset, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Heron, Drita Fold, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Deeseroof, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Attic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Ivan 214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Tick Dickler, Joaquin Hagen, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Casa, Andrew S. Blake, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu Elenia Nanyan, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Dan Galanowski, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Vallis, Carnival Bear, Donovan Russell, Zebra Z Birds, Licky Martin Borshegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoes Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, DeHuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Garefa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Jeezy Raman, Raul Ebeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou Markelli, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Lagner, Rodney Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Scott Ruff Schneider, My Sharona, Y Truey, Roman William W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Andrew Shang. Stefan Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, SS, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R. Pete Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy NG, Mads, Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Z. Jits, Shield TV, Couteau, Dane P., John Wasink, Sam Venzel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse Javskowiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindley, MJB1, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.